Welcome to Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. And I'm Matt Henry, and we're going to do one of those controversial ones, possibly, depending on the person's frame of mind. But Uh, it's also common. Yeah, it is very common. Um, We're going to talk about, uh, it's actually going to be an extensive series uh, that's going to be open-ended, and it's all about just the idea of parenting children. Uh, so we, we actually hope to run the gamut of parenting from little children, meaning newborns, all the way up to watching them leave the house, which is always a challenge. Um, each season in the process of being a parent is a unique one, and often it builds off of the prior season. So it's actually important for you uh, to understand this actually before you become a parent. Um, we would argue, though, that if you want to do a poor job in the early years, then it's going to make a lot harder for you to parent well as they get older. And that's what we run into all times as pastors is people who are now, so to speak, behind the eight ball. They're, they're playing catch up. And it's hard. It's it's not impossible, but we watch it. We know it is a lot more difficult. Um, now, we're not exactly how the whole process is going to work out. Uh, but on our Facebook page and our Faith and Fable page, uh, faithfable.com, we have a link up that uh, will allow you to send in questions. Um, and that's just something we really, really, we always ask you, drop us a note, right? And you never do. But we, <laughs> we hope you will here. We know that a lot of you are parents or you're wanting to be parents. Um, if there's just simple questions I shared with my church uh, on Sunday, you know, look, if you're, if you're just wondering, is there a better way to teach my kid to sit still in church or clean up their toys? I mean, just some of the basic things. Um, we really hope that you would uh, just simply ask that. Don't think it's a silly question. Most likely every other parent listening has had to deal with this as well. Um, but it also will help us gauge how to approach uh, each of the episodes that we'll do. Right now, we're leaning toward a systematic teaching on it and beginning each episode with a question that is posed by a listener. Um, And so our goal is to create up a helpful repository of information that helps you uh, keep focus on the task of being a good and faithful parent. This is probably um, the hardest thing, right? Because you start out and you got that cute little kid and, man, you, you make all kinds of oaths to God, this will be different. I, I'm going to do this right. and But you find out it's 18 years. <laughs> and you, it's like, man, this is long. And you just get distracted, and you don't mean to, but you find yourself off, uh, off the pathway, if you will. So what we're going to try to do today is simply an introduction where we can talk about key assumptions uh, and requirements in parenting. And the one that's most critical is simply this. Parents, if they're going to raise up godly children— must be godly themselves. Not real shocking, but it seems to pass by many people. A parent cannot 
parent in a godly manner if they're not godly. So we're going to talk about that and kick the whole venture off. And what we'll do today is make several simple, very foundational points related to parenting, and that will set the stage for the episodes to come. So the first point is the key one upon which everything else will build. So you really need to pay attention. I don't care if you don't have kids yet. I don't even care if you're not married yet. Listen to these things. Think about it. Because, well, in yeah, yeah, you have to be godly, right? Right, right. So we would say the simple yet non-negotiable reality is is the need to be a godly parent. And the key qualifier there is godly. Yeah. You got to be, gotta be, everyone's, you're, you're a parent if you have a kid, right? Uh, but the question is, are you a godly parent? Uh, and if this one doesn't make sense to you, then we would say that nothing else is really going to be of help as you seek to shepherd your children. So children will flourish in the presence of a household, which is run by a wise and godly parent or parents. And it is that simple, really, and all, but also that difficult. Yeah. Uh, so many start out with the goal to be a great parent, but they don't ever really define what that means. They don't use the scripture to create the standards and the goals in a way that is wise. And so today, many are starting out as, as parents, but did not have truly godly parents themselves. And so they're now just stuck with learning how to do this on their own. And if, if you think that you're going to be a great parent, but at the same time, you're not diligent to watch over your own heart in Christ, then disaster is likely yours to reap. And we don't say that to be mean. It's just the it, reality. It, yeah. I mean, you and I have both watched people and they have children and we just sort of shake our heads because we're, we're looking at a, a, a couple. We, we may love them, but we've never seen them really take their Christian walk seriously and now they have a third sinner, <laughs> you know, right, that is right. completely dependent upon them. And and now they're going to be making decisions, and a lot of times in stress, right, or, or in in the early years without much sleep. And if you don't have strong principles that you've already built into your life, yeah. Well, we just shake our head then. Yeah, and so you spend eighteen years just basically doing damage control. Oh, that's a Versus, painful way, but yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, you're trying very, to build. You're reactive. That's exactly. That's more yeah well, fancy <laughs> way to say it, right. You're reactive rather than proactive. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. So if you're, and here's the harsh reality: if, if you're a slothful parent, you're going to raise sluggards. Right. A gluttonous parent teaches gluttony. A gossip breeds gossipers. So on and so forth. Uh, become a legalistic person or an externalist and you will find or you'll have quite you know a solid pharisee in your ranks within a few years and pharisees are always fun to have to deal with aren't they <laughs> yeah um, everybody loves the pharisee in the family <laughs> it's funny though because you'll have a parent who loves their rules and and speaking on high and then they are really offended when their son rebukes them or speaks to them and and it's like you raise this <laughs> yeah yeah that was produced um jesus said it very simply in luke chapter 6 and verse 40 he said a pupil is not above his teacher but everyone after he has been fully trained he will be like his teacher now you actually just preached on this right yeah a couple weeks ago what were some of your points because i remember listening to it and thinking how good it was Oh, that's probably unfair. Yeah. I'm just springing that on you. You're yeah. not ready. I could see that in your face. You're like, what? Oh, <laughs> I'm still trying to flush last Sunday sermon. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah. I, well, with that verse in particular, the thing I tried to point out was uh, a pupil or a student is not above his teacher, 
but everyone after he's fully trained. Keyword is he will be like his teacher. Right. And what I tried to show is notice he's not saying after he's trained, he will know what his teacher knows, but he will be like him. Yeah. I um, thought that was an awesome point. He'll, yeah. They'll, they'll take on that very quality or character of that person because the other thing I tried to argue for is that all teaching is actually discipleship. Yeah. It's not just a transference of knowledge. So what, what you do, not even merely what you say, but what you do as a parent is, is whether you know it or not, producing something within your child. Hence your harsh but actually faithful statement, a sluggard is going to produce a sluggard. Right. Right? Yep. So, so apply this to a parent who chooses to not be faithful and godly, and it's simple to figure out your child, apart from a unique work of grace, will grow up and be like you. Um, <laughs> and it's true. I mean, in all discipleship relationships, look at your disciple, and they are a mirror. Yeah. They're reflecting back to you essentially what, what you are, which is can be encouraging but also difficult. Now, that's fine if you're happy with who you are, right? Um, but the harsh reality is that most people might like themselves until someone begins to act like them. Uh, so the gossip is most offended when he is gossip, gossiped against, right? Uh, a person who pushes against authority and argues about most anything is quite exasperated now when his three-year-old does the same thing. But why? Yeah. I mean, that's hypocrisy. You're, yeah. you're angry, and yet it's like you taught him to do that. And so the very first step in effectively parenting to the glory of God is to strive to be ever growing in godliness and maturity. This is a key word, before you ever have children. Now, if you have children, then there's a lot of repenting maybe you need to do. But this is why we're talking to people before they become a parent. You have to buy into this. It's, it's a lot like what we tell couples who want to get married. Um, they want a godly marriage, right? But you can't have a godly marriage if you're not godly. Yeah. Uh, and they're and you always see them like nodding, like, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that makes total sense. I'm like, no, I'm talking to you, you ungodly <laughs> fool. <laughs> it's like you can't find basic books of the Bible, but somehow you're going to shepherd this woman. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> can't quite make it to church, but. Boy, we're going to do great. Yeah, it's like you have to, you, you can only produce what's already within you. And so we always get those dutiful nods and we just shake our head at times. Um, realize then that parenting is nothing more than a long-term discipleship, what you just said about Luke 9 or 6. Um, uh, you pour your life and you pour your faith into your children in every conceivable manner, at least if you're doing it well. You keep the true priorities as true priorities. Uh, you keep the goal constantly in mind to produce bold, faithful, godly children who will enter the world on their own in such a manner that they're men or women of sound biblical conviction. So you're not freaking out as they're getting ready to leave because you've been pouring for 18 plus years certain principles into them. So here's an example. You say you love the church, and you say, I value the church. But then your child has an event that evol involves Sunday participation, and you buy into it, and that's where you go instead. Whether you want to like it, agree with it, or anything else, the reality is that you have just told that child a very clear message about what you truly love. Drove me crazy. We had a guy that was trying to bring his—he had an unbelieving wife— 
And I just talked to him. I, I explained. I said, you have to create up the basic non-negotiables in your life of what are non-negotiables for you as a follower of Christ. I said, they should be very simple and very basic and everything else you can negotiate and compromise on. But these are non-negotiables. And one of them that he came up with was church, that he needed to be there at church. His wife would bug him about it. Every chance that he had to take her somewhere just to make her happy, he would. So he got free Packer tickets, off they go. He got this, off he goes. And he kept missing church. I'm like, you can tell me all day long that you want a wife who will come to faith, but you're telling her that your faith is not that important because you're all, you, you, what's more important is you make her happy for the moment. Yeah. Um, so you're not a lover of money. That's what you say. You're sure of it. But then you only give out of what is convenient. Well, your child makes money, and you have no expectation of him giving. You spend whatever you make. You want to be generous, but you'll have all this uh, debt that keeps you from being generous. You have a larger family, so, of course, you need a big house, and, and it's just the way it is, and it goes on and on. All of those are communicating to the child what really is important. And all of this and things like it are really simple ways we disciple our children to go away that they really ought not to go. And so question, you know, is your home a hospitable home? Are you known for people invading your private space? When was the last time you sat with your six-year-old and talked about spiritual things? Actually talked about them, not just, hey, give me your memory verse. Why is it that as a pastor, we often find young men and women who act as if they have never heard of basic doctrinal things, but they were raised in a supposedly Christian home? So they can tell you the batting average of their favorite player. They know all the words to the hit song that's playing everywhere, but they can't quite quote a Bible verse or with great clarity just explain the gospel. We're not, again, trying to be mean, but is that not true? You, you, yeah. you run into young people all the time, and you're like, what did your parents do? Mm-hmm. It's like they had you for 18-plus years, um, and something got broken down there, and yet you know the parents and you know that they love Christ, and they want to do well, but something, there's a disconnect, right? Yeah. I, as best I can say. Yeah. And, and some of that, or I would say a lot of that also just goes back to perhaps how they have not been taught, which is why we're doing yeah, this, right? I'm we're nodding not, here, and we yeah, don't have yeah. a camera. <laughs> um, we're... This isn't meant to beat on anybody. It's just we understand. It's a commentary on the poor state of the church. And you're going to get beat on. Yeah. Okay, just embrace that. You're going to get beat on, but we're not. Tr- that's not our goal. No. But it is. Go back to your point. It's a commentary on the state of the church. Yeah, and people, it, well, it's that Luke 6 passage, right? The yeah. importance of good spiritual teachers. And so what we would say is that's where grace comes in. It's never too late, um, but begin sowing these things deep. Yeah, but it does require repentance. Of course, Absolutely. That change of mind, right? Yeah. So, so these are the sort of things that help dig deep furrows in the heart of your child. Uh, convictions and habits are formed and are taught from parent to little ones, um, and also not so little yeah. ones. Um, so that brings us to our next point, um, and that is that you need to understand that parenting to the glory of God is a spiritual battle. Um, and we got three points here. First of all, it's a battle against your own sinfulness. Um, or as the Bible would call it, the flesh. Parents lie to themselves all the time. <laughs> I don't, no. <laughs> Never lied to myself once. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you're the model here, right? Yes. Um, yeah, so they, they easily 
fall into their own private sins and they can hold very close to their hearts. Uh, they're what we call pet sins. It's easy to be lazy. Uh, it's very hard to stay diligent and watchful. You are tired, so you just want to relax. And so you let your son talk back to his mother and you choose to ignore it. And that, that's a tough one too. I'm tired. And I'll, th there's been times where I've literally had to tell myself, get up, walk into that kitchen and deal with this issue because yeah. it's your home. You're not allowed yeah. to hear that and just ignore it or assume because Lydia is such a good mom, but just assume that she'll take care of it. And she will, but it's my home. Yeah, and 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 without you meaning to, you're discipling your children that it's really mom's home, not dad's home. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's subtle, guys. It's not these simple 13 tricks and out pops a happy kid. There's all kinds of subtle. I, I, man, I remember coming home. It's been a full day of seminary and full-time work. I'm tired. I got studies to do. And you walk in that front door and you hear <laughs> screaming. You're like one of these days, <laughs> and, you, and you hear mom and she's like, get in your room right now. Wait until your dad gets home. And I'm like, I'll just shut this door. <laughs> and, and you're right. It's yeah. gut check time. It's like, am I going to walk in yeah. and just say, it, it, you know, I would at times literally take uh, the we call them the whacker, <laughs> uh, that she was going to go discipline the children with and just take it from her and say, oh, I've got it. And the kids always hated that because when around the corner comes dad, yeah. it's like, oh, this hurts always more. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> but but it's like, you got to do it. And I, do, I wasn't perfect on it, but. It is important though. And I think we did get a question along the lines of if disobedience is happening and there's a mom and a dad there, who should take the responsibility to, in that moment, yeah. discipline the child? We can just quickly answer that. It should be the father. Yeah, it, there will be always exceptions. Of course. I mean, especially with older ones, a pop on the head. I'm not talking <laughs> a punch, but a top, smack them lightly on their head and say, knock it off. I mean, that's, sometimes that's all that's needed. But when there's an actual discipline issue and the dad's there, dad, get up off the couch yeah, and go take care of it. Yeah, and that, that ties into that important episode we did on dying to self. Yeah. Um, you got to do it. In fact, guys, you're going to find so much of what we're going to be talking on the parenting is going to tie back into previous episodes. There was a, a method to our madness, uh, though I think many people wonder. <laughs> so anyhow, go yeah. ahead. So more uh, on this. You're, you're wanting to be recognized by others, so you push your child off onto others to teach and to raise you have your career to think about. You tell yourself and others that you are not built to be a stay-at-home mom. Right. We were just talking about that one too, right? Yeah. It's like, I don't want my kids to be in daycare, uh, so I'll hire this person to watch my kids. It's like, did you ever think of maybe just watching your kids? And not just watching, but pouring your life and soul into them? Yeah, because they're being discipled. But but right? you know what? You're making good bank. You're, yeah. you're making money. You're moving up. Your career, this and that. And so you make decisions. Okay, that's fine. You, yeah. I mean, you made your decision, um, and you and your husband are working with that. But there's consequences to that. You're discipling your children in a way they should think. Yeah, and I, and I understand the challenge of that one. Um, just I say at a personal level, when I was done with seminary and I was working for the nonprofit and— Lydia became pregnant with her first. Uh, trust me, I took all of my exegetical prowess and tried to bring that to bear onto Titus, <laughs> where it talks about uh, keeper of home. Uh, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> I walked out more convinced, and I'm like, darn it. I remember you wrestling with that because yeah. it would have been really helpful if she would have stayed working. Well, she's she was in. Uh, financial analysis for a pharmaceutical. And Which still blows me away by a little bit. <laughs> but it, what that did is it cut our income immediately. I mean, literally, 
in one day by two thirds. Yep. And, but you believe the promise, you believe the word of God and you don't buy into the lie that there's somehow blessing outside of that. How many meals though did you guys miss? Zero. You sure? <laughs> there wasn't starvation. How no, about, I mean, how about, we're, we, honestly, we talk about that all the time about how with such generosity, God has cared for us. Yep. It, it, but, but we also have said this on numerous times in the past. God does not bless you until you obey. Yeah. And we wait for the blessing. In other words, we want the full safety net underneath us before we're going to obey God. So husbands will just not love their wives like they ought to because they're afraid of what's going to happen. It's like shut up and love her. Yeah. Love her like you're commanded. Submit to him like you're commanded. Train your children like you're commanded. Uh, I mean, it's a full orb thing. This parenting thing is not a single thread, and that's what's going to make us hard yeah. pressed on this whole process. I, I'm an older man. I've raised children. I've got, what, 12 grandchildren? Uh-huh. Something like that. Um, you're a younger man. You're, you've got, how old is your oldest? Five. Yeah, so you're Somewhere. on the other side of that. Yeah. But uh, we've enjoyed watching you guys raise your children. Um, but we understand all of those things, but understand that so many different threads of thought are going to be woven in here. and We'll try to make it somehow make sense. <laughs> yeah. um, so, more. You want to be a loving husband, uh, and so you somehow twist that into meaning that you're not going to now set standards in your home and lead your family with a clear agenda. Oh, that it's one just, kills me. How easy is it to constantly justify with that magic wand of grace. Yes. We'll just show grace. Well, that's another question that we'll actually answer that somebody asked of where does mercy and grace come into this? But and it I, does, but yeah. yeah. And, and, but I, I've heard countless fathers who say, I don't feel comfortable disciplining my children because I'm afraid since I'm gone so much that they won't love me. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's an admirable desire that's completely wrong. Yeah. Yep. And that's where faith comes in, but we'll get to all that. Uh, and we've heard countless times how parents, you know, they want to just survive the parenting <laughs> years. Um, they're merely hoping that their daughter doesn't become pregnant outside of wedlock. They're merely hoping that their son is just going through a phase. In other words, and again, not trying to be harsh here, but it's true. In other words, they're lying to themselves, right? Um, your biggest problem will not be your child. Your biggest problem and challenge will always be you. Yeah. And, and remember, we're talking about that parenting to the glory of God is a spiritual battle, and that first battle yeah. is against you, your own sinfulness. So the second battle is against the sinful nature of the child. Your child also is a sinner, and you shrug right now. You're saying, well, of course. But we would say, do you really believe it? Uh, do you grasp the magnitude of the battle that's before you? that God has granted you the responsibility of a soul of one or more people, you're, you're to take up that task and work with the awareness that you are called to, be, to model, to teach, and to convey the gospel and sound doctrine into their lives. That's your calling. And so if you think you're doing a bad job in your own life— <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, think how much harder it's going to be that you're dealing with a, a completely separate soul, um, and, and that's the other spiritual battle. And then the third battle is what most people think about, a battle against spiritual forces, meaning uh, satanic pressures. Uh, this comes via the world, which is fallen and walks in accordance to the God of this age, stuff we talked about. It's so obvious 
that we are often discouraged by how easily uh, it's ignored by people, though. It's like you keep watching shows and listening to music and attending things and participating in organizations that are literally opposed to Christ, and then you don't understand why it produces ungodliness. Uh, what are the books you and your children actually read? Um, what are your favorite shows? And why are they your favorite shows? How do you view your role as a citizen um, from a Christian perspective? How, how do you view money? These are all little ways that satanic pressure comes to bear, uh, not through vomiting up pea soup, but in the more subtle way of, Hey, I got to be thinking about the future. I got this and that, you know. And it's like you have not thought about your money at all from a biblical perspective. Uh, from sometimes demonic pr- pressure overtly comes at times, which means that you should bone up on the methods that Satan actually uses. So we did podcasts and all that on our stuff on Satanology and demonology, and we really encourage you to listen to it if you didn't, so that you don't end up having some whack job come into your house proclaiming that the blood of Christ uh, is upon this house and declaring the home free from demons. I actually had that. We, 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 uh, I've had that. We had a church that wanted us to come and be a pastor. And they had a, they had one family had uh, two adopted children and one kid stabbed the other kid. And so what they found were told was that they had generational demons in their home. And that was the problem. And so this guy came through and splashed water in each room and pronounced the blood of Christ and to cast away the generational demons. And that, that, um, I just, I'm like, what? <laughs> there was so much bad in that. And, yeah. and you, you had it too, huh? I didn't know. It, yeah. yeah. It, it, I'll tell the story at some point. Yeah. Um, okay. Simply put, Satan and his minions will push two things. They're going to push deception and they're going to push accusation. And if you don't learn to recognize those quickly and easily, then you will not withstand them and you will not teach your children either. Yeah. One key thing to understand is that uh, you're also reflecting in one way or another the familial relationship within the Trinity and God's relationship to us. So John 5 is all about the Father and the Son The New Testament is replete with overt statements and imagery of how God the Father interacts with his Son and uh, also the other way around, how the Son interacts with the Father. Um, And so have you ever considered the idea that a world filled with unbelieving parents uh, watching you in your home is either a faithful picture of the relationship between God and the Father and the Son or it's not? Right. Um, I mean, you're, you're... you're portraying something there, right? Um, so, so you see how much bigger parenting is than just getting your child to college with scholarships. <laughs> um, but Ephesians 3 also tells us of the fatherhood of God toward humanity in general, that he is the father of all. And then in an even greater way, the Bible speaks of believers as being the adopted children of God the Father. And so we refer to God as our father who is in heaven. Uh, in fact, it's interesting that the two most intimate relationships in creation are used by God to model the relationship in the Godhead and the relationship of us to him, both as bride and also as adopted children. So fathers can learn much about what it means to be a father by knowing God well, uh, for he is the perfect eternal father, which is why theology matters. Yeah. It's why understanding scriptures and 
the person of God well matters. And and why starting early before you're married, before anything, that you start learning and and getting that firmly stuck in your your heart. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, if you're just trying to learn a few techniques that's going to bring your children under control, you'll fail. It needs to start with a robust knowledge of the person of God, and everything then flows from that. So if a wise father is one who makes pursuing God his primary purpose in life. In turn, he then models what he learns of God now to his children. So consider the incredible love and care that he shows to his children, uh, how he lavishes us with grace. He is concerned about our well-being. He observes us closely. He is incredibly patient with our constant failings. But also how our Heavenly Father is not just content to leave us where we are. Uh, and that is where parenting becomes very specific and real. Yeah. In fact, let me add one other thing before we move to the next point is, you know, some guys will listen to that and say, yeah, so I need to buy more theology books and I just need to get away from everybody, including my wife and children, and just devote myself to more of that and miss the whole point. It's like, no, you need to pursue God in every with every fiber of your being, but it's to be modeled and worked out daily with your children. And so if you're not there because you're always off with your buddies discussing theology, sipping your whiskey and smoking your cigars, you failed. Yep. You, you're still not doing it. That is, you, you're teaching deism, a God who is far from you and disinterested in your day-to-day life. And that's not the God of the scripture. He is intimately interested. Um, in fact, I had a little girl on Sunday, Wanda, I, I told you about this. She decides to talk to me about her unicorn shirt. And she, <laughs> but but I'm constantly aware of this, and with the children of the church. And so when she came up to me, she always likes to talk to me. So I crouched down in the middle of the lobby so I could be eye to eye with her. And I said, "How's your day?" And she pronounced began to pronounce her joy over her unicorn shirt, and corrected my faulty understanding of unicorns. And the whole time, I'm just. Extremely interested in what she's saying. I really don't care, but I I, I love this little girl. She she's not my daughter or granddaughter, but I do have a great affection for her. But what I want her to realize is that I care about her. I I want that so that maybe in that time when she's in her teens or older, that she knows this pastor cares for her. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And how many fathers have made themselves so unapproachable? It's always go talk to mom. Go talk to mom. Uh, they're bored. Would you hurry it up? Would you hurry it up? Instead of just realizing, this is a stupid story about a unicorn, <laughs> but I love my daughter. And, and then you think about how bad your prayers are at times, yeah. or lack of prayers, and yet fa- your Father in Heaven incredibly loves you. Um, if you can grasp that, then your parenting becomes better. And so we also need to remember then that the family, like marriage, is also a creation of God. This is huge. Uh, You and I don't get to define marriage or a family in whatever way we want. And the fact that people do this all the time is simply a reflection of what is nothing more than sin and rebellion. Uh, The world may find this all rather easy to dismiss, but you, if you're a faithful Christian, cannot. The presence of a child does not make a couple into a family. Mm -hmm. A family actually begins with the advent of a new household via marriage, meaning I marry my wife, Kim, and a new family has become come into being. So the biblical method of creating a family is that a man and a woman marry. The creation of a new household, that's the family. You don't need anything else 
for that. Uh, so when you hear a couple say, we're hoping to start a family, they, I know what they mean, and I don't rebuke them, but they're actually wrong. Right. They're already, there is already a family. Now the question is, what you really mean to say is you want to extend the family through the bearing and raising of children. But when the children leave it, the family doesn't disappear. Um, you're still there. In fact, one of the things I would drive home with our children was when that when they would try to play me off of mom was, look, at when you're long since gone from this home, my wife will still be here. And that is my preeminent relationship in this household. Don't you ever, ever try to play mom and dad off of each other. Do you understand? Every time you do that, you will face my displeasure. Uh, because, right. I mean, how many parents have poured their lives into their children in every wrong way and then the children all move away and now the mom and dad stare at each other and they don't know what to do with each other because they've never <laughs> pursued a godly marriage. Absolutely, which is why we'll eventually get into probably talking about fighting against that tendency to become a child-centered home. Oh, we're, we will talk about that, yes. Um, so, if the children were the primary answer to Adam's loneliness, then God would have created a few children rather than a wife. Um, but he didn't. He gave him a wife. Um, because sin is now a constant presence today, though, broken examples of this are everywhere. And we do not reference these. And, and we want you to know this. We're not trying to mock or be unkind. We just are simply stating that these types of expressions of families are simply examples that, of families that are marred by sin and its effects. It's, it's a hard reality of living in a broken world. So the first would be a single parent. That's the simplest example. Uh, sometimes it's due to simple choices by a person. They, they have sexual intercourse. They, they have a child out of wedlock. They never marry, and, and the child's there. It doesn't mean that there's no hope, but it's also not a biblical model of what a family ought to be. And so now if it's the mother and she's raising her children on her own, that's hard because mm -hmm. she doesn't have the support and the care and the protection of a husband coming alongside. At the same time, how many ladies have then said, I need a husband, and they grab any guy right. that will say yes, and now they're stuck in a godless marriage and still trying to raise children. So, um, so, so a child is not necessarily a reason a family should come into being. Right, right. Uh, this, this can really easily come about from abandonment or divorce as well. Um, but it's, it's one of those ways that sin simply affects us as people. Other times it occurs through death, right? The death is a result also of sin. It's not like they did something wrong. They just fall. They live in a fallen world and people die. We start out good, everything looks great, and then living in a broken creation hits us hard. It's not because we did something wrong. It just didn't work out the way we had hoped. Book of Ecclesiastes, right? Mm -hmm. uh, blended families would be another simple example. Again, we're not using this as a way to criticize or revile. Rather, these are simply realities of living in a fallen world. And you don't want to pretend that it's not a result of living in a sinful world. Perhaps even having made sinful choices yourself that brought this to pass. So, again, parents, sometimes a single parent marries and they blend their families together and in, the, in and of itself, it's not a bad thing, but then they discover even greater challenges. I remember one couple where he had been married twice, and he had children from each of those marriages. They were divorced. The woman was married once, and she had children, and then they had one child 
between themselves. So they had all of these ex- additional parents outside of their home that were also informing the raising of the children. And I got a headache just listening to them trying to describe visitation rights and rest- I'm like, oh my gosh, how do you? Yeah, they challenge. I, 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 it was, it was brutal. Yeah. So we would say if you want to do well in the task of parenting, you have to develop a habit of now reflection and repentance. So think and consider and observe your own life in your own home, what there needs to change. Where are you and others weak? How can you fix and strengthen perhaps what is lacking? Sin has this ability to creep in. And if we pretend otherwise, then one day we're going to find our home reeking of rottenness, essentially. Yeah. Um, and so we have to practice confessing, but then also repenting daily. Yeah. Um, and then finally, you must have a basic, you may, need to have basic convictions in place and make them non-negotiables. Now on this, we can't make these for you. You're going to have to decide in your own mind. Uh, but these are things that you should develop. And if your parents were not faithful in this task, then it's now up to you to figure what figure these things out. So seek godly counsel and start talking about big picture issues like church, family, money, work, leisure. What are your non-negotiables on those things? Um, Just as an example, that may help. For us, church is simply a non-negotiable. I mean, that we're not even debating. Yeah, I mean, brutally (laughs) (laughs) non-negotiable. And all things related to attending church are also therefore non-negotiable. So our, and this is just us, but our children are going to be properly dressed. Um, We will order our Saturdays to prevent us from being tempted to skip because we're tired from staying out late. Isn't that one of the most common excuses you hear? You're like, hey, I I didn't see a church. What, you guys doing okay? Yeah, we we were out late. We went to see a late showing and things got away from us. We just, the kids were cranky. And so we thought it was wiser to stay home. Yeah. Well, and I've been giving this counsel a lot lately, especially because our church up there is increasingly younger. It oh, seems. that's right. And and so I've been talking with a lot of people about decision making on Saturday, uh, Saturday nights. You know what you're doing, um, and I keep saying the decision we've made for our home that I've made for our home is it helps. I got to preach, <laughs> but we're we're done by five six o'clock Saturday night. Um, we're making, we're doing early dinner. We're getting the kids bathed, settled down into bed early. Cause we got to get up earlier and we're shutting down so that we can be alert and ready. And there's exceptions obviously, but generally speaking, these are non-negotiables and it Sunday begins Saturday. Well, and with those exceptions, it doesn't factor into your decision of not going on church. Right, so right. there might be something that keeps you out late. That just means you're gonna be tired. <laughs> yeah, you still gotta go, <laughs> but you're gonna right. be there, tired. Yeah, and that's the discipline, right? So a lot of people are like, "Well, that's legalistic." No, it's it's a discipline we put in place to keep us on that path of increasingly conforming into Christ. Um, so any memory verses, uh, they should be perfectly memorized by your children for Sunday school. Yeah, not Saturday night. Yeah, um, you know, so. We and the children are are going to actively take part in the service. We sing and we sing heartily. This is one that parents can also learn well. I love holding um, like Naomi in my arms because I can sing loudly in her ear. And she's going to be learning something from that, that mom and dad sing to Christ. 
Yes. Um, we, I, we Actually, we've been getting the pleasure of having some of our granddaughters stand with us during service, and one is able to read. So she's singing away, and she's belting it out. The other one, I oftentimes will hold her hand, and it's something my dad did with me when I was a little boy in church. He would keep beat with squeezing my hand. He just gently squeezed it to every beat of the song. And if it's, if you hold the note, he squeezes and holds it and then releases it. And and now she's doing that with me, and it's our thing. But she's engaged. It's weird. She's engaged with the song in that stupid little trick because she wants to be with Grandpa, keep him beat with her, her hand holding. Um, Simple thing. Yeah. Um, so we sing, right? We sing heartily. Um, not that half murmuring stuff. Yeah. Uh, we pray. We listen. Uh, we go to the bathroom before service starts, and we learn to hold it during the service. Yeah, our kids weren't allowed to leave. Once Once the service started, they had to sit there and hold it, and there was no grace. <laughs> I, there wasn't. It was yeah. just like, well, we were we, we had a very different church than you did when we started out. And mm-hmm. they, I mean, throughout the service, people are constantly getting up all the time to go off and supposedly go to the bathroom, wander back in. I'm like, no. I mean, I, if my four-year-old can hold it, then you can at the age 20. And yet I still have 20-year-olds and 20-somethings, if they listen to this, shame on you, uh, who just can't seem to think that maybe I should go to the bathroom before the service starts. Yeah. Yeah. And hell, I'm ranting. It's funny. It's, uh, <laughs> it, so it's interesting at our service. Um, and, and everyone's pretty good at this, but it's, we start with the preaching. And so, of course, you're drinking all the coffee when you first get to church. And then you got to sit there and listen to me for an hour at least. Um, <laughs> but then we followed up with singing, and there's always this mass exodus right after I say amen. <laughs> So by song two, we're all filled up again. <laughs> Whereas I think you guys got your, uh, you do announcements and then they can all, they, there's that little time where they can go and drop the kids off. Yeah, we send the kids and uh, their teachers to Sunday school so parents can, and we ask the parents that, hey, take the kids in anyhow so they're not doing a Sunday school. The point though is that we're saying is, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're actually training your children when you expect them and that you yourself are half having them go to the bathroom. Yeah, another one is, you know, bring your Bible and open your Bible. And I would add, take notes. Yeah. Um, when when your children see you actively engaged, again, you're teaching, you're instructing something there that not through words, but through your actions. Um, you know, we, we give. Our children always give as well if they receive money. Um, we arrive early, like a half hour early. Um so that your children can see you ministering to people, you inquiring, you asking questions, you engaging people, welcoming people, all those kinds of things. Well, we'd actually do that with my son. He'd be there with me, and sometimes some table need to be set up. I'd just grab him, come on, buddy, and, and we're going to set those up. But I would also try to grab one or two other guys with me because they're all just standing there like lumps on the log, right? Yeah. And they're watching the pastor and his son setting up tables. I'm like, dude, get over and help. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to help them grasp. But you didn't show up to church just to hang around with a cup of coffee. You came to serve. Yep. So, you know, when people are slipping in right before and then slipping out immediately after, um, that's not wise in my no. own eyes because you're, you're teaching, you're instructing something there. So get there early, but then try and organize it if possible to where you make yourself available even after the service that you can hang out and engage people, greet visitors, uh, all that good stuff. So we don't we don't allow other things to be an excuse to miss church. So 
to, to your examples you gave earlier, just because someone offers you Packer tickets um, or a great pair of seats to a ballet or some sort of thing, we would say, why are you accepting those? Yeah. Um, these are simple outworkings of, of a conviction uh, that church is non-negotiable. Um, so, so think about it. Every decision is declaring values in very loud, loud ways to your watching, watching and listening children. All right. So let's kind of bring this to a close. Families in the church are a good thing. Uh, they really are a micro expression of the greater, truer family of the uh, of God that we're part of in in Christ. It's always good to see families in the church. But let us leave you then right now with a few questions to think about on that fact. So let let, let me talk first of all to the older people. How do you view the little ones in the church? How do they view you? Not just your grandchildren, but all of the little ones. You've lived a long time. You can, you could speak into their life, or do you see their murmurings and their cries and other things that little children do as hindrances to you? And you're sighing and shifting in your seat because they're making noise. Um, are you reaching out to them? Do you? When was the last time, older person, listening, that you encouraged their parents, that you spoke kind words to the children themselves? How are you? We had a guy in that church when I was a little boy. He always carried a bunch of uh, candies in his pocket. And, and all the kids came flocking to him, and he would give it, and he'd ask them their memory verse. And we always were ready with our memory verse. And then if we get, did the memory verse, we got a, a candy. We loved that guy. He, was, he lived to be like 90-something. He was just a great guy. But, I mean, I'm, what, 60 years old, and I still remember this guy. Uh, he, had, he had a positive impact on me as, as a young boy going to church church. You know, how are you then thinking about pouring what God has taught you into their little hearts? In fact, have you considered that as a key role for you? Have you asked yourself, why am I not in nursery or Sunday school or some other way to serve the little ones? Uh, for some reason, older people seem to so often reluctant to go and do those things. It's like, why? How about this for to singles? How do you view the families in the church? Are they something strange or exotic to you? or something that you want to avoid, I want you to consider how you spend your time and how you observe the families. Uh, you are being given a reminder of the privileges of being in the household of God every time you see a family. Each time you watch parents correct a child, you should be reminded of the way your Father in Heaven corrects you. So watch the parents who are faithful so that you might learn one day for you when you're a parent what it looks like to be faithful. And then how about this for families? When was the last time you invited a single person over to spend time with you? Have you ever thought about your role in bringing singles into the life of the family? We would also add to this, consider now how the family is under attack in our nation. This is not something surprising uh, for the family is a key example of the gospel, and therefore Satan will always seek to obscure that image in every single way possible. But understand that as our nation continues to slide into all levels of folly and sin, the Christian, Christian family becomes more and more a light of the gospel. This is one of the simplest ways for you to be missional, um, by inviting unbelievers into your home and merely living out your life before them in that context. Um, there is an incredible message portrayed when they watch a husband and a wife interact in a godly way, or as they see your delight in your children and how you're raising them to fear God, how they see you open your home in hospitality. All of that is actually the seedbed for evangelism. Yeah. 
So that's enough for this first episode. Um, and we just ask that you think about it. Did you find yourself shocked, annoyed by, by what was said? And if so, ask yourself why. Uh, were you surprised or helped? Uh, figure out what and why as well. Godly parenting simply means you're godly parents. So if, if you don't yet have children, then we'd say work hard at growing in Christ. This is not your time of freedom to just take in the sights and do your traveling. Rather, it's a time to grow as a person and as a couple into greater maturity and wisdom. So we hope you were helped by this introductory episode. Please share it with others if you don't mind. Uh, we have plenty of other episodes uh, coming your way. But until then, make sure to tune in, join the conversation. If you have any questions on this subject of parenting, simply drop us a note. And don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, and review on iTunes. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And tell a friend. Mm-hmm.